Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And the show starts now. Hey everyone, quick message from Tucson's Rising Phoenix Fitness and Defense. Help treat anxiety and depression with martial arts training and education. Develop the confidence, skills, and fitness you need to stay safe. Our focus is real-world self-defense tactics, practical and effective for everyone. You can find them at 4500 East Speedway Boulevard, number 4. Tucson AZ 85712 or you can call them at 520-838-1592. They are open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So hit them up. Learn martial arts, very therapeutic, and you can learn to kick ass and kick depression's ass as well. So um hit them up. <laughs> everyone welcome back to another exciting episode of screaming chewy show and i'd like to welcome wendy stewart how you doing wendy i am excellent today how are you screaming chewy i'm doing great can't complain good it's always good not to complain right because right. if you think about it there's so many things we could complain about hey and even if i do nobody cares right now right just- nobody's gonna listen anyway so it's much better not to complain <laughs> you know, gotta have that positive attitude, and I, I sense you have that as well. I like. I, I got that positive attitude. Listen, what choice do any of us have, right? You can go positive or you can go negative, right? So hey. we might as well enjoy life. That is the one thing we have learned from the pandemic. I love it. It's all about perspective. Thank you. You get it. <sighs> so, Wendy, you want you tell me about yourself? Oh, so there's uh, lots of things. I don't know how much research you got to do, but um, I have a book out called She's the Last Model Standing. It's a memoir of my life from when I lived in Nigeria to uh, Studio 54 to modeling, acting, making documentary films in Africa, and still now modeling, acting, making documentary films, and because of the pandemic, becoming a major person on the whole podcast circuit. Does that is that it in a nutshell? Did I encompass my life in a nutshell? Oh yeah, that's pretty impressive as well. Very cool. Wow. And so, how was it living in just uh, other countries? So I love living in other countries. So the hardest thing about the pandemic is. 
you know, we've all been like stuck. Where I, where are you, Chewy? Where, what part of the country are you in? Oh, I'm in Arizona. Nice okay, well, not a bad place to be stuck, right? Because you don't have a winter. Although I don't envy you with that summer there. What is it like a hundred now? Yeah, right now it's a hundred. A couple of days ago it was like one thirteen. I know. I you know this is crazy stuff, Chewy. This is like the global warming thing. We we did hear about this in the Northeast, but I miss being able. Um, I make documentary films with my husband about endangered animals and endangered people. And I have not been able to fly to Africa, which is, of course, a really incredible place to to film. The film that we made, Whispers and Witnesses, was about primate rescue in Cameroon. That's gorillas and chimpanzees. And the reason they were being rescued is because they're being poached. So I love I love telling stories like that to raise awareness. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So to let people know what's going on out there in the world, you know, many people know about like elephants and rhinoceros, but they don't know about gorillas and, and chimpanzees and what's happening to them as well. So film, I feel, is one of the best mediums that you can create to connect with people. Oh, yeah, for sure. It definitely spreads awareness. And um, once you realize, uh, you know, those situations going on, you you worry more like, oh, shit, what can I do about it? You know, right. You, right. And you just said it. It motivates people. We can use we can use our podcast to motivate people. We can use film to motivate people. But it's all about communicating to get people motivated and tell them about something that's going on in another part of the world. You can't imagine the amount of people I run into and I tell them what's happening to gorillas and chimpanzees. And they're like, oh, I heard about the rhino. I heard about the elephant. I didn't know about that. But you see, if you make a film about it, then, then people know. And our film called Whispers and Witnesses, which is an award-winning documentary, really shows what's happening to primates, right? Gorillas, chimpanzees, and other monkeys because of poaching. The poaching situation in West Africa was bad. I don't even know, Chewy, what it's like now, honestly, because we've kind of lost contact with other parts of the world because all any of us are hearing are pandemic, right? We're hearing where the pandemic's hitting. We're hearing where the vaccines are going. But every day I worry about what has happened in remote parts of the world where we were trying to protect animals. But everything has changed in our world. How do you know what's going on anywhere? You don't. Mm -hmm. And um, why exactly are they poaching uh, apes or, or like? No, good. That's a, a really good question. So, um, in places in the Middle East and in places in Asia, they believe that uh, gorillas and and chimps, their body parts have uh, effect on people's bodies in terms of uh, aphrodisiac, preventing impotence other medical conditions that they believe they can be cured by having a part from one of these animals, which is absolutely not true. But, you know, we're talking many times about poor places in the world where, you know, someone is just trying to feed their family, right? And if they get offered a price to bring back a gorilla, they're not thinking about killing the gorilla. They're thinking about, oh, I'm going to be able to feed my family. That's what people need to understand. So 
what happens is you really need to raise awareness in the local communities and then beyond that. And beyond raising awareness, you basically need to make people have an economy where they're not going to kill gorillas and chimpanzees and sell off the body parts. So the question becomes, how do you do that? Well, when you have rescue centers, you can hire people, local people, to help with the feeding of the gorillas and chimpanzees, to help with the tracking of them, to help monitor them, to help run the schools in the villages. So what I'm talking about is to basically a win-win situation. If it becomes a way that people can, you know, survive and feed their families, right? If they're feeding gorillas and chimpanzees, they're making money to do that, and then they can feed their family. If you teach them the value of the gorilla and chimpanzee, well, then they're not going to want to hunt them. I, you know, it's funny, Chewy, I don't blame it on the people. So much in the United States is why are people killing rhino? Why are they killing elephant? I be, Here's my personal belief. When you have huge amounts of rhino horn or elephant tusk being put on the market in wealthy countries, right? Like the Middle East or China, mm-hmm. there's a lot of money to get those rhino horns and elephant tusks. And you're dealing with a simple person in a village in Africa trying to feed their family. That's all they're trying to do. They're not recognizing 100% that they shouldn't be doing this. So what we need to do in the world, right, in the global world, is find a way to replace that economy. I know of a situation in um, one part of the world where the gorillas were being poached and somebody there who ran one of the national parks had the presence of mind to start an electro hydro dam and employ he employed over 200 people in the villages and he said please don't kill the gorillas we will provide income for, for you but don't kill the gorillas that is a very smart man Because at the end of the day, the people made money, right? Like all of us, we need money to live with. Mm -hmm. And they left the gorillas and chimpanzees alone. So this is a very, very complex situation, as you say. Wow, that's uh, it's way beyond just saying, hey, just stop, stop killing them. Thank you. Right. And people here are like, oh, they need to stop. We have protests here. I understand where people are coming from here, but they really need to educate themselves more as to why this is happening. You need to provide jobs for people. Once you do that, they're, they're not going to be poaching anymore. You know, it's, it's really that simple. And then also in places like China and in the Middle East, you know, people that have money consider what they call bush meat, and that's gorillas and chimps and other uh, primates. It's they consider that a delicacy. All right. Very expensive. Like we would have a very good steak. You need to remove the expensive aspect of it. And the only way you can do that is by teaching people that have that kind of money in the Middle East and in China, teaching them that it's just wrong to eat that. Don't do that. It's just wrong. And China did put together a campaign. And again, Chewy, this was all before the pandemic. So I don't even know what's going on now. They had put uh, together a campaign to have local uh, Chinese celebrities get on television and, and on the internet and say to people, hey, 
you know, don't do this. This is just wrong. Listen, in China, they're not going to kill a panda bear. It's part of their culture. So what you understand is we have to make these animals all over the world whose populations are declining. They have to be part of all of our culture. They have to be part of a global culture. Yeah, like uh, tigers as well, right? They're endangered. Same thing. Asia. Although I will tell you, India, and again, I have to keep saying before the pandemic, before the pandemic, India had done a really good job of that. They had um, incredible tracking, incredible monitoring. Uh, They were paying the guys that were their rangers a decent amount of money to really protect the animals. So- you know, to your point, tigers were, for the most part, being protected. You know, every now and then there's someone that's going to come in and, and get one of these animals. That will happen. But we want, for the most part, we want to keep them alive. And uh, India did a really great job of that. But we're talking before the pandemic. You know, you can't talk about anything nowadays without mentioning the pandemic, because mm-hmm. I don't know what's happened in these places now. Uh, the amount of money that was funding things is a lot less. And then you have, you know, the issue of people getting sick, the issue of people trying to get vaccines. So I, and I haven't heard anything from anyone. I think that uh, this pandemic was a big game changer, but that is not to say a year from now when more people have vaccines and there's more medical care available that they won't, put the sacredness of gorillas and chimpanzees or elephants or rhinos, they need to put it in the forefront, you know? But right now we have a situation, people are fighting for their lives. We've done incredibly well in the United States, but it's not so great everywhere else. And most recently, Israel, which had done unbelievably well, lots of vaccinated, most of the population vaccinated, just started a new protocol of wearing masks inside again. Why? Because, yeah, I know, right? You're saying because of this Delta variant is highly contagious and it really makes people sick. So now people, even if you're vaccinated, you got to wear masks inside. So I, you know, I say to everybody and I'm on a lot of shows talking about this. None of us know. I can share information with you here, but, you know, none of us know it's not over yet. Although in New York City, where I am, you would think it was over. The bars are all packed again. (laughs) They, you know, they said they were supposed to be checking vaccine cards. They're not. Some places are, but for the most part, they're, they're not. And, you know, here in the United States, the minute the CDC said, if you're vaccinated, you're okay. The minute they said that it, it became a free for all. So here you and I are on this beautiful evening in June. You in Arizona and me in New York, and we're just trying to figure it out, aren't we? Yeah, it, it's the same thing here in Arizona. Like, I know nobody wears masks anymore. Nobody's taking precautions. You know, bars are full. It's like packed. You know, it's like we're the new Florida kind of. <laughs> I like that. Right. We're the new Florida. I guess New York City is is the new Florida, too. Although we have a huge number of people vaccinated in New York. I will I will absolutely tell you that. And I'm very proud of my city that people get it. But you know what? If you go other places, we have a lot of unvaccinated people. And the unfortunate thing about this 
COVID-19 and these variants, which is something I know a lot about because I'm a member of a COVID task force, these variants are very dangerous and the people they will hone in on are people that are not vaccinated. Mm. Listen, I have friends that don't want to get the vaccine. They don't know what's in it. They, you know, they're nervous. It hasn't been out long enough. I can respect somebody believing that, but you know what, with the situation at hand, I care about being, being alive, being able to do my thing, right? That's at the end of the day, what I care about. And I'm assuming what you care about too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, uh, oh man, it's fucking crazy. I can't believe that there's a new strain in even the right. she's not working. Like what the hell? Right, what the hell, right? now I'm curious about uh, your friends and how they feel about it. What are, what are they saying? Well, so there's kind of a mixed feeling like everybody's divided in two now, right? Divided, like, right. People are with the mask and vaccination. People are without it. Like the mask, I don't care. I'll wear it, you know, if I have to go into the store. Yeah. Uh, the vaccine, I'm not too sure about it. Um, I, I just don't trust like Johnson and Johnson because the whole um, the talc powder was giving people cancer. I got it. And the vaccine, first of all, that vaccine is not 100 percent. People like it because it's just one shot. But, you know, to your point, we don't know. None of us know. You know, my daughter got um, I got Moderna. My daughter got Moderna. She got very sick after both vaccines. But in in New York City, in a lot of the places that we work at, you've got to be vaccinated now. So that's the deal here. I don't know what it's like where you are. Yeah, here, I don't think you have to be vaccinated. Like, nobody's asking for cards or nothing. Wow. <laughs> it's like wow. it never happened. <laughs> right. It's like it never happened. Let's just forget about the pandemic and it never happened. So I'm curious, what did you do during the pandemic? Um, I stayed home a lot and worked a lot, Um, you know, and wore a mask whenever I went to a store and stuff. Um, 2020, I... I really didn't do much at all. I podcasted a lot. Like, <laughs> didn't we all? I invented three shows in 2020. I was not a podcaster before this. I was, I emceed at clubs. I'm an actress. I'm a model. And um, I didn't know from a podcast, nor did I care about podcasts at all. And then March 12th, they shut New York City down. And March 13th, I started my first live uh, streaming show, which was called Pandemic Cooking with Wendy. And it's a cooking show, but not really. It's a comedy show before it's a cookie show. I'm in New York City. I don't cook. We order out for everything. (laughs) Now, I was, you know, when this all started, we're going back to like March, well over a year ago, I, you know, Places weren't delivering initially. I found myself having to cook and I started this show. And um, the beauty of the show is, right, I'm an actress, I'm a model, I'm a performer. I came on my show every week with like a different costume, a different wig, (laughs) a different point of view, different characters. And I would make something, something really easy, you know, not complicated, but I would give the ingredients for food and um, basically my show, I developed the show Chewy to make people feel better because so many people, not in Arizona, but in New York, a lot of us got sick and I was one of those people. This virus spread like wildfire. And if 
you weren't living in New York City, so many of my friends out in New York, even in places like Pennsylvania or Maine, they're like, wow, you had COVID. Or I go on shows and they're like, you had COVID. Everyone I knew had COVID. There were people that died from it. My immediate group of friends, none of them did. One was hospitalized. We're okay. But they shut New York down March 12th. And by March 16th, I had COVID. My daughter had COVID. My husband had COVID. 22 of my friends had COVID. And countless amounts of other people have had COVID. And I bet you're wondering why. Why did so many people in New York City get COVID? Well, it seems this virus was around even earlier than the end of February. But if they had told us in like the last week in February, don't ride the subway, right? You can understand how it would spread. We were all on the subway going to our jobs. We had heard about this virus, but like, I'm sure like in Arizona, now you thought, oh, maybe it's going to be like the flu. They told us, uh, they showed us a graph of how this virus was going to peak, but we didn't really understand that what that peak meant was so many people would die from it. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened in New York. And we were not prepared. They started like literally giving us preparations. They shut down March 12th, March 13th. We were told you need to have toilet paper. You need to have food in the house. You need to have an oximeter. It's something that measures your blood levels. Um, you know, this is what you need to do. And what happened was when people got sick, many of us, my doc, my doctor disappeared. Nobody, here's the deal. Nobody knew what to do. We are in the United States of America. How could nobody know what to do? <laughs> yeah. You're laughing. It's like, how pathetic is that? I believe in this great country of ours. I really do. Mm-hmm. How could we have not had leadership that the end of February said, this is coming. This is real. We don't want to panic you, but this is definitely coming. And it is not the flu. And we were not ready. So then, then you, you know, you have this situation. I was talking with friends last night that, you know, all of us had COVID. My smell and taste were gone for over eight months. Actually, in the last month and a half, I can finally like smell laundry detergent without it making me sick. When my smell and taste did come back after eight months, things that like should have smelled normal, like, you know, like Tide laundry detergent, right? That's kind of a pretty smell, whether you like laundry detergent or not. I cannot stand the smell of it or like dish liquid. So that's what happened to me. Oh, man. And it's still like that? No, I'm like. I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm 98%. Man, that's crazy. Right. And, but I, right. Like you're hearing it and you're like, wow, that's wild. If you go to New York, there's a gazillion people in New York city that have this story. And what happened, like, like you said, like this country is now half and half, you know, in places I go to Pennsylvania on the weekends I have a lot of friends here. They couldn't wrap their head around it because very few people in Pennsylvania where I am got sick. They just didn't. It's open spaces and they weren't riding the subway. And if they had a job, the job went to working from home, right? So if you're not riding the subway, you're working from home and you're not seeing a lot of people, you would go through this pandemic and you'd hear about this other stuff, but it didn't affect you. Whereas, you know, New York City, we're all on top of each other. <laughs> it was, I, I tell people it was impossible not to get it. 
And here I am doing a cooking show, Chewy, with no smell or taste. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I can't taste it. <laughs> I didn't tell my audience that at all. I would go, oh, my God, this is so good. You have to try it. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, I hope they don't. But um, people not only tried the recipes, some of the emails and comments that I got were, I'm home with COVID. I've been sick for three weeks. I'm not in a hospital, but I've tuned into your show because, because I would make light of it. You know, I had episodes I ran with um, a flight attendant called Pandemic Pam, who flew for Pandemic Airlines. And I had a flight attendant outfit. And I would talk about pandemic airlines, how we would never actually leave the ground. But it didn't matter anyway, because it was a pandemic. And I would bring you food from all over the world in the pretend places that we would fly to. So people found that very, very funny and they found it entertaining. And, and honestly, that's exactly why I did it. And then um, come January of last year, I saw an opportunity to do another show. It's called If These Walls Could Talk. I know a lot of people in the entertainment industry, some very famous people that were home. Everybody was home. You used to be touring. You had an album. Your name was everywhere. Now you're home. And I thought this is a perfect opportunity to live stream, write a podcast and get people on my show, famous musicians and celebrities. Smart. And have, yeah, right. Perfect opportunity. They're there. So, and um, it was unbelievable. I had, you know, Leland Sklar on world renowned bassist, Kenny Olsen, Kenny Aronoff, uh, celebrity drummer, writers. I had Michael Musto on. It was so great to be able to feature all of these people and have them talk about what they were doing to get through the pandemic. Because you know what? People watch that and it's, it's reaffirming for them. Because remember, our lives all got weird. You, my whole platform, I'm an entertainer. My whole business shut down March 12th and I had to completely reinvent myself. And what I learned from in, you know, interviewing these kinds of people, they had to reinvent themselves too. We're talking about people that had hundreds and thousands of dollars in tour dates, right? Musicians, tour dates booked and they watched it all go out the window. Wow. Right. But what are you going to do? Okay. You got to come at it from another way. You, you write a book, you start your Leland Sklar started an amazing YouTube channel. It's he gives lessons and he talks about the music industry and it's invaluable information. Anybody who was motivated really put their stuff together during this. Cause we didn't have a choice. None of us did. We're in a very weird time now, Chewy, because it's like, okay, what's going to be next? We're kind of like half and half. We're half in and and half out, you know. And they've got COVID guidelines, or they don't have COVID guidelines. They're giving concerts, but they're not giving concerts with the same amount of people. They're doing very limited touring for small venues. So it's it's hard when you're dealing with the entire world to figure out what is going to be next for all of us. The bar is open. Sit back, grab a cold one, and get ready for the news you didn't even know you needed. From the frozen wasteland of western North Dakota, 
the tropical playground of Florida. It's time for tales of wonder and amazement. Put the kids to bed and pour yourself a drink. Lock the doors and close the blinds. Break out the cocaine and hookers. It's time for happy hour news. The history and future of black people. A realistic assessment. Finally, a book that breaks free of the narrative. A book that takes on the misinformation of the white liberal. Learn how the Democratic Party created the KKK and Jim Crow laws that turned dogs and hoses on black Americans in the 1960s. Find out the real motive for affirmative action and purging the past. Follow along the exciting African battles in Zululand and Ethiopia where warriors with spears beat back advanced armies. Imagine a future of a Wakanda-like city being planned in Senegal by music artist Akon. This book has it all. Find out more at Amazon.com backslash author backslash Roderick Edwards. From the little bit of fun remaining from the worst year for modern man, presses two podcasters with their outlandish conversations broadcasted to you. Join the hosts Nick and Josh every Wednesday morning to break free of your regular mindless life as they tackle topics ranging from just about anything possible. And if you need more spice in your life, tune in every Friday at midnight for the Mindless Midnight where they host special guests. Time to get mindless. Well, what's next for you? (laughs) You know, and there's some weird stuff going on like... uh... Towards the end of the last year, they started opening up bars, but not at maximum. Uh, not at maximum, capacity. right. And right. you got to wear a mask. But it was weird, right? You have to walk in with a mask. You could not walk in the building without one, right? So you put your right. mask on, you walk in. Same in New York. <laughs> and as soon as you walk in and you sit down, you take your mask off. I got it. I've had this conversation with a million people. I cannot, I can't explain this. Okay. Even for me, who's been out there through the whole thing and I followed every guideline, I can't explain that. And you know what? Here's the thing. You're in Arizona. I'm in New York. Nobody ever explained this to us. What is that? I'm serious. Like we're all sitting together. So because we know each other, that means our masks are off, right? But just because I know you, that means I can't catch COVID from you. That's not true. All right. So, and oh, another thing, this has never been explained. I'm calling this out on your show. Does COVID, like when you're sitting down, not float around to the room? It only floats around when you're standing up. Do you think about these things? I think about these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, so as soon as you sit down, you're safe now? Like, and you look around and nobody has masks right. except the people serving you, you know? Right. So it, uh, so is there like a four foot level? If you're not like, I think about this stuff, Chewy. If you're not above four feet, if you're below four feet, then COVID can't get you. Is that a guideline for us? I don't know. And then we also had the plexiglass dividers when you eat. Well, that kind of makes sense to me, except... Can this virus like float above the divider? You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Some of the dividers didn't go all the way to the floor. So can the virus like sneak underneath the hole in the divider? 
Here's why this country is so divided, and I strongly believe this. Nobody was explained anything. We're just told masks on, masks off, get vaccines. And believe me, I am pro-masker, pro-vaccine. I am that person. But I want to be able to tell people why this makes sense. And by not telling people why this makes sense, guess what? People don't want to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. All right. And they don't understand why they're wearing a mask in a restaurant. But when they sit down with their group of 12 people, they don't need to wear a mask. Yep. Yep. That's very true. It's crazy. It just doesn't make any sense at all. And so many business shut down like it's crazy. Right. We want our businesses to be open. New York, we lost a lot of businesses in New York City. Things are starting to open up, but we've got block after block of for rent, for rent, for rent. What's it like in Arizona? Um, so like uh the businesses I noticed shutting down are like small businesses. Like there was one by my house, it was like a video rental store. Oh, that wouldn't survive this. Forget it. Yeah, and I'm like, man, this, this guy survived Blockbuster and Redbox and streaming services. They're still around, but nope, they didn't survive COVID, you know? Right, right. That's a, that's a shame, you know, because small businesses built this country. What are we just going to be stuck with? Like, the, you know, big corporations now? They found a way to survive, you know, think about it. They were able to have their employees work at home, still keep their agenda going. But all of these small businesses, and even where I am, small restaurants, they really suffered. We were totally shut down in New York City at one point, except for sitting outside. Do you know it was like 20 degrees in the winter, Chewy? We were sitting outside under heat lamps. Oh my God. It was like brutal, ordering food, just trying to keep, our local restaurants that we wanted to support, you know, to keep them going. So yeah, it was, it was really tough, really tough. Yeah. It's definitely, I think it's going to be like 9-11, like it's a bookmark, you know, like bookmark. Yeah. People are like, Oh, I'm I'm 18. And I'm like, damn, you were born after (laughs) 9-11. Right. You don't know, right. You were born after (laughs) 9-11. So now people are going to be like, Oh, you were born after COVID, you know? Yeah, it is. It's going to be PC post-COVID. There was BC before COVID, and now there's PC post-COVID, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not going to be the same world. It definitely won't, you know, be the, the same world. So were you personally affected by COVID? Um, yeah, I mean, the one thing that affected me the most was in November, my dad passed away, but he was like in a coma for like a week. From COVID? No, he had like heart failure and like kidney issues. Um, But what sucked the most was because of COVID, only one person per day can see him. So we, me and my sisters and my mom, we decided, okay, who's going to see him today? Who's going to see him tomorrow? Like we thought, you know, one person at a time, but it was one person per day. I'm like, that's fucking bullshit, you know? But you're talking about something. We need to have these discussions. This is awful. Okay. At least one of you per day got to see him. May he rest in peace. People need to understand that people died saying goodbye to their family on an iPad, Chewy. That's just awful. Yeah. Yep. Can you imagine? Yeah, my my buddy, he's a real close friend of mine, Sammy. 
uh, his mom last year, she died of uh, cancer Ugh. Um, for her last weeks, her last few weeks. He couldn't see her at the hospital. Awful. No visitation. Awful. So he didn't he didn't get to say goodbye or nothing like that. That's really hard. And, you know, I don't think we're dealing with that yet. I hope that we do. You know, because you're not hearing anything. We just went through, to me, something that was like a huge war. It was like we were in a war. We're still in it, but it's better. But we were in a war and people are crawling out from under rocks. So here we are. And how is this psychologically, emotionally, how has this affected people? How has it affected our society? Depression and alcoholism skyrocketed. Right. Right. I sure do hope that, you know, they put in support systems for people because we're we're all going to need that right now. And me as an entertainer, as a performer, my job is to make people laugh. I'm out on stage again. I, I wrote a parody. <laughs> I, so I wrote a lot of parodies during covid and i call it songs of the song there used to be something called songs of the depression mine are called songs of the pandemic and i actually intend to do a show about it and somebody said to me wendy that's not funny believe me i know better than anybody it's not funny but i i wrote things about um you remember madonna's material girl Uh uh-huh that song you know the words to it live in in a material world i wrote I'm living in a virtual world and I am not a virtual girl. Oh yeah, I am living in a virtual world, but I am not a virtual girl. Facebook Live and Google chat rooms really aren't my thing. You get the drift of it. It's about, that song is about, for me, having to, you know, other than checking email on a computer and looking at a document, I didn't know any of this. I learned all of this so quickly. All right. So totally quickly. And then um, funny, two weeks ago at the Stonewall in New York, which is where uh, the the whole site of where gay pride began with the Stonewall riots, I performed on their stage and I did one of my pandemic songs, which is called Vaccine. Do you remember the song Jolene by Dolly Parton? Uh huh. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please give me a shot. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. How many doses do you think you got? Those anti-vaxxers, they can wait because they think this guy, Bill Gates, is putting a chip inside their brain. (laughs) So that's how that song goes. You can see these are very, they're funny songs. And I came up with them because... Like you have to be able, um, you know, I do comedy. You've got to be able to turn around and look at this thing and you can't hang on to the gloom and doom because we know there's enough of that out there. You have to take the gloom and doom and turn it into comedy. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I have a dark sense of humor sometimes and you, know, you get it. It's not for everybody, but I love it. Cause you gotta, you gotta have a sense of humor and, you're going to have dark times in your time and you got to learn right. to laugh and it helps me get through things, you know? Right. Totally. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's what it's about. And we all had a look inside ourselves during this thing and, and find out what gave us power, what, what totally got us through this. 
So, so yeah. So I'm curious what's, what's going on with you going forward. Like, I know you've got your podcast. Oh, when did, I'm always curious. Cause I talked to a lot of podcasters. When did you start screaming Chewy? Um, I started in December of 2019. So before, oh my God, it was right before, weren't you intuitive? Yeah. And what's funny is, so I do a season, like I, a year, I call it a season. So in 2019, I did like 29 episodes. And yeah, then wow. in 2020, I fucking kicked it up a notch. And like, Why not? everybody's home, <laughs> like tripled. <laughs> right. But, had, to- had totally that. That's totally great. Yeah, it's interesting to me when you started, there was no pandemic. What made you decide to start your my pie? Everything I did was really started because of the pandemic. What was the impetus behind your podcast? Um, I just like making people laugh. I love storytelling. I yeah, there's many things that interest me. And like people would tell me, like, you should have a show and like, I don't know. I just like having conversations. I talk about anything and everything. So I just started it one day. I said, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's let's absolutely do it. So when I went online to read about you, that's exactly uh, what I read, that you just like to have conversations. And that's the coolest thing to me about podcasting, you know, having conversations. I don't have an agenda. I just have a ton of things that I do and I make documentary films. I told you about that. I do films in Africa. You know, I put that Mm -hmm. on hold. My husband is the camera person on that. And I do all the on-camera interviews and we've been to really remote places. I told you about Cameroon and gorillas and chimpanzees, but we also did a film called fragile beauty in a very remote part of Ethiopia, where the people still live the way they did a couple of hundred years ago, in that, you know, their um, dwellings, their houses are very, very traditional, mud with twig, and the way they dress, incredible adornment, animal skins, body painting, wreaths on their head with goat horn or ram horn with flowers and things around them. They take clay and they put color into the clay and then they paint their bodies that way. And Chewy, they're like that all the time. People who saw the film or who saw are still pictures and it's called Fragile Beauty. They said to me, oh, they must have gotten dressed up for you shooting there. No, that was not the case. I uh, found them and then I needed somebody that could get me into the tribal area. You just can't go in with a camera. And I was lucky enough in the capital of Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, to meet uh, someone I was looking that had connections to the tribal people there and got permission for us to shoot. I always like to add in, it wasn't just permission. I agreed not only to pay the chief of the village money for the village, but I paid every single person that we took still pictures of or even talked to, we paid them money as well. You know, we ran it like you would run a movie shoot here in the United States. And that's only fair. I hate when I see films and, you know, the the people that are indigenous didn't get paid. They should be paid. Their time, like your time and my time, it's worth something. But that was really an incredible experience spending time with people in that part of the world. And 
because we don't leave much of a footprint. We use very small cameras. We're very low key. I didn't come in with a camera in their face. I played with the kids. I hung out with the people. Of course, you know, they all looked at me and I'm about as white as possible. <laughs> and I'm very, very blonde. And um, a number of them laughed at the way um, I looked. Some of the little children were afraid. But honestly, in a matter of hours, I hung out with the mothers. We're all mothers at the end of the day. Everybody is equal at the end of the day. Our customs may be different. Our culture may be different. But you know what? We are we are all the same. And we got a beautiful film from that. And I, I learned a lot from that. I went there to shoot a film about the, the beauty and the fashion of the people in this day and age. And I learned that they had raging malaria in some of those villages and children were dying. And there was someone that came up to me to see if I had malaria medicine. And I ended up taking his daughter to a clinic. She had malaria. And I kept asking through my person who translated, why, why are they not going to the clinic? Well, he couldn't pay the clinic because he only could pay with cows. They didn't pay with money. They had cows. Oh yeah. So, big money. Right. Isn't that like freaking amazing? And I got the, the father and the daughter in our Jeep with our driver and our translator. And we drove to a clinic that was only two miles away. They had malaria medicine there. It took a lot of convincing because he didn't even want to get in the car with us. Who were we? We were these strangers. And he was uh, embarrassed about not having money to pay. So I had to figure how to speak to them in their own language. And I had my translator tell this man, we want to give him a gift. We're strangers. We come from a foreign place. We want to give him a gift. And the gift is going to be the malaria medicine. And guess what, Chewy? That worked. And we get to the clinic. I, so there's a nurse there. We bring the little kid in. And what bothered me was the way the nurse, and she was a local woman, looked down upon the father. You know, he was a villager. And I had my translator tell the nurse, I have the money for the malaria medicine. How much is it? And she said, oh, it's very expensive. How much is it? $10, $10. If there's anyone listening right now, $10 to save a kid's life. This is what's going on on the other side of the world. I mean, who doesn't have $10 here, right? We have $10 here. Had I known I could have brought $100 and saved 10 kids. It was a real eye opener for me. And you're right. You like having these conversations. I mean, I like this because this is something that really impacted me and i hope whoever is listening hears this we can all make a difference in the world in a huge way we just can't take no for an answer and we can't let you know i often say god angelina jolie how amazing she is because she can write a check for anything i can't write a check for anything but i can help one person at a time all of us can and that's what people have to remember i love your passion and you know it's, it's crazy how, you know, you're a very well-known model, you know, and you're also in the entertainment business and, you know, you're very good at it. And I love your passion. And, you know, you're also, you know, you studied anthropology and theater. Yeah. Well, you know, like, I find you very interesting. Like it's Thank amazing. you. Look at how it's all fitting in, though, right? You know, making my films, 
that I, anthropo right? I came out of school with a degree in anthropology, couldn't get a job and started modeling. Knew I would always get back to Africa. Wrote a book about it uh, called She's the Last Model Standing, which is available on Amazon. That's my book. My book opens up with me being 21 years old, living in a village in Nigeria. I got over there through my university, through the Black Studies Department. You know, I was an anthropology major, but everyone else in there was a Black Studies major. And I thought, you know what, let me try and apply. Maybe they'll take me. And they did. And it turned my head around. I lived in a village called Ife where um, it was very, very rural. It was remote. We did have a university, but I was like, people hadn't seen anyone like me. The kids, and I love telling this story. I would walk through the village and they would yell, Odabo Oibo, which meant hello. And I thought Oibo meant like, oh, foreign person or European person. I found out that Oibo was the white skin on an orange when you peel it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, to this day, I love that. And I love telling that story. Right. I just totally love telling that story. When I peel an orange, I think of that. <laughs> and you know what, Chewy? That was the eye opener. And I came back to New York after being there a couple of months and having nothing but extraordinary. And I tell you, extraordinary, magical experiences. I mean, my best friend at the university was a local guy, Jide Abegunde, and his grandfather was a very well-known traditional medicine doctor, or what we call here, and I hate saying this, but I'll break it down for people that are listening, someone that knows about voodoo, right? I hate using that word. But he, my friend was like, we want you to come to this ceremony. I, I attended ceremonies with hundreds of people where they had where they became possessed by spirits and deities. And I saw inc incredible things. And then I left Nigeria and came back to the United States where, you know, and I'm very into science too, but, you know, science tells us that couldn't possibly be. And I'm here to tell you, yes, it can possibly be. Okay. A personal belief, traditional belief. I saw people healed. Uh, I saw incredible things. These weren't shows for tourists. There were no tourists where I went. I was the only person that stuck out. These were people that believed these traditional medicines. And, you know, I always wanted to get back to Africa. And I started modeling in New York. And if you read my book, you've got stories in there about Studio 54. I was one of the original Studio 54 girls. I saw, wow. this is a funny story. Um, I'm, do you love Madonna? Are you a Madonna fan? Oh yeah. I, I've so always when, Madonna, right. when Madonna first came out, she was like a pop princess and I hated pop music. And I was at Studio 54 that night. She wasn't famous then. She hung out at a place called Danceteria and she was dating Jelly Bean. Benentez and my friend Johnny Argento owned that club. I would see her there and they would play her, you know, her songs there, but she still wasn't famous. And one night I go to Studio 54 with my friends and they announced that I'm like, who's performing tonight? And they're like, oh, it's Madonna. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, that one. And I'm up in the balcony with my friends. And she did her, remember her, one of her very first songs, Borderline? Mm -hmm. That is like, no energy, pop song, borderline, da 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 da. Oh, 
So I can't to this day even digest it. And I'm up there with all my friends and I'm like, that girl is so tired. She's not going anywhere. Well, guess what? I was wrong. (laughs) And I became a true Madonna fan with uh, the album Ray of Light. When she came out with Ray of Light, for me, there was no turning back. I totally love that. Totally loved it. And I've been a huge fan ever since. But yeah, back where I'm going back to like, I started going to Studio 54 late 70s, well into the mid 80s. And it was really quite something. So yeah, I've run the gamut. And um, my book, She's the Last Model Standing, is available on Amazon. I unfortunately have to jump off now. Believe it or not, of course, I have another podcast. I'm back to back today, Chewy. Can I give all my handles? Oh, yeah, for sure. Anything you want to plug. Uh, So you can find me on Facebook, Wendy Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's Wendy Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T TV, Wendy Stewart TV. You can find my shows, Pandemic Cooking with Wendy. You can find If These Walls Could Talk with my celebrities on it. And then my third show, which I developed that I did not get a chance to tell you about, is called Triversity Talk, and it is dedicated to the LGBTQ community. I have people from all over the country come on that show, and we discuss very timely LGBTQ topics. And then if you jump over to Instagram, I'm under She's the Last Model Standing. On Twitter, I am She's the Last Model Standing. And then my website is www.wendystewarttv. Back on Facebook, you can follow Visual Journeys, Our Stories. And that talks about the films that I make with my husband, Alan Kaplan. And that's all she wrote. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on and keep doing what you're doing. I love your passion. Thank you. I had the best time here with you. How do I get a copy of this? Email me. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just um, uh, just drop me your your email or in, and I'll send it all to you. Okay, do me a favor because Eileen's got. I don't have your email, but you can friend me on Facebook. Does that work? Yep, that works. Okay, friend me on Facebook, and we'll I will personal message, and then we can contact each other that way. You are super. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. Survive that heat in Arizona. Global warming is a real thing, Chewy. Oh, yeah. I feel it. it. (laughs) Right, right. Tell people it's a real thing, not a hoax, not fake. It's a, a real thing. And they do expect the temperatures this summer to really climb in uh, the Southwest and in the West, you know. We have, however, a whole host of other problems here in the Northeast, which I won't go into in terms of climate, but (laughs) there you go. Listen, we're all doing the best we can. Be well, be safe. Really great being on your show. Thank you. You have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, check out anchor.fm slash screamingchewy gmail.com. Any contribution is greatly appreciated and that makes you my producer. If not, that's cool. I'm just happy you're tuning in. And hey, Screaming Chewy Show merch. Yeah, that's right. At teespring.com. Just Google teespring, T-E-E spring, Screaming Chewy Show. Just Google that. It'll take you right there. And uh, yeah, you could buy hoodies, t-shirts, socks, masks, you know, if there's any stuff you'd like to see on there or purchase, just let me know and I'll add it on. And uh, yeah, you'll be rocking, styling, social media. Don't forget to follow me on there on Facebook, Screaming Chewy Show. I like to share memes, just make up stupid shit, share my episodes on there and just whatever. Um, Check out my YouTube for video versions of my podcast episodes also in between episodes i like to add me streaming yeah watch me get scared playing a creepy game or die playing PUBG or some shit you know what i mean and uh yeah just check out my youtube and uh twitter it's at screaming chewy yeah not screaming chewy show i should change it to that but for now it's just screaming chewy and uh thanks again for tuning in see you next week peace